check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome one and all for our little taste of the South. Lots of hoop, but no harm. So wherever you are, we appreciate you joining us. Many of you already know me, but for those who don't, I'm Andre Aldridge, and this is A Toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network. This is our debut episode, and I certainly appreciate those that have already hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't, that is something I would like you to do, and it would make me very happy. Now, our focus and something that makes the majority of folks listening to this podcast happy is watching the Atlanta Hawks play winning basketball. As we're putting this show together, our squad sits at eight and eight following a Sunday night loss in Milwaukee without Trey Young and Clint Capella due to injuries. Now, I believe it's all about positive steps along the journey, but let's talk big picture and expectations for this season. Before the season started, the goal for these players was reaching the playoffs. And regardless of what's said publicly, that shouldn't and doesn't change 16 games into the campaign for them. And it certainly shouldn't for you as a fan. It's been three years of not reaching the playoffs for the Hawks. So as the team has dealt with those growing pains, gotten younger, managed cap space, and gotten the players they've wanted, the time to get back into the postseason party is now. So what have we learned? as far as not just the answers of sitting at 500, but the show your work part of the equation. Well, to have started the season winning four of the first five games was enjoyable. However, the four game losing streak immediately after that, to me, was more important. Dealing with adversity presents multiple opportunities for a new team to truly learn about itself. When the world was telling our all-star point guard that he couldn't shoot, and it seemed like no one on the squad could even spell win on a Scrabble board, those experiences help good teams grow, no matter how distasteful or unpleasant the process is as it's happening. Trey Young is the brightest star to have come through the Atlanta Hawks locker room since Dominique Wilkins. Whether he's the best player in our city since Neek is yet to be proven. What I know, is that Trey Young wants to be better than Mr. Wilkins. And as you all know, Dominique has a statue in front of the arena. Trey's shooting will always grab the headlines, and that's make or miss. But continuing to be a magician passing the ball, particularly if he isn't making shots, that's going to be a real key to how successful these Hawks can be in reaching the playoffs. And that's what John Collins, continuing to improve his game, like he has every season he's been here, and that's also appreciating what a lethal asset they have at both ends of the floor in Clint Capella. So big back-to-back -back games coming up with the Clippers and Brooklyn's new big three in town this week, along with a limited number of fans in the arena for the first time. And the work week wraps up with a trip to Washington on Friday. Now, my observations, like many of yours, comes with many, many hours of joy and pain with our favorite NBA team. I've seen every minute of every Hawks game over the past decade. I saw a lot of minutes of most Hawks games in the decade before that, which included an eight-year run of not making the playoffs. And I was watching Smitty and them the decade before that. I don't have all the answers, but we are all invested. And with those thoughts, let me share some of my personal feelings on Hawks history. For me, 
I want you to know who my favorite 10 Hawks of forever are. Now, these aren't the 10 best players on anyone's lists, but they're 10 guys that epitomize the organization and the city in my eyes. At the very top of the list is Dominique Wilkins. And I know there's a generation of fans out there that only know Dominique as an announcer, even with videos and things to research to see that. And that's unfortunate uh, because he was such a great, great player. He was the reason you watch the Atlanta Hawks. He's the reason you watch them battle. And so not because he's a friend, not because he was a coworker, but because of everything he did on the court in that uniform. Um, that's why Dominique uh, will be and remains my favorite Hawk player of all time. Uh, the other nine in no particular order, um, just know that, you know, when you've got 10 Avengers, that would be good to have any of them. So I'm going to push on also on the list, Joe Johnson. Uh, as my friend Mike Glenn would say, Joe Johnson walked into the gym with 30 points in his back pocket. That's only a slight exaggeration. And while the contract generated a lot of headlines toward the end of his tenure, uh, Joe was the quiet Southern gentleman that went about his business and got buckets. So he's in my top 10. Also in my top 10, the late, great Lou Hudson. And if you know anything about this franchise, that's unquestioned and how good he was. And also on my 10 list, top 10 list of Atlanta Hawks, uh, his backcourt mate, Pistol Pete Maravich. Uh, anything that's fancy you see on the floor now, anything that anybody does that has some, oh man, some, some flash to it. Yeah, Pete had all of that. So that's four of my top 10. Also in my top 10 of Atlanta Hawks, got to get a big man in there. And there's nothing like Mount Matumbo. Mount Matumbo was just a defensive presence like none other. And the Defensive Player of the Year awards, the uh, all-team defense first team, and just remembering what he did on the court speaks for itself as far as Kebe Matumbo. Maybe the best vision of him was in the Denver Nuggets uniform when he helped the eight-seated Nuggets upset the Sonics. And just holding on to that basketball after they achieved that is something you never, ever forget. But he put in work after coming from Philadelphia to Atlanta and uh, definitely my top 10. Also in the top 10, Steve Smith. Steve Smith was a guy who always came to work, always was up for the challenge, never backed down. And I talk about the playoffs or guys having a drought or our current group being in a three-year drought that we hope to end. Well, the Hawks were on an eight-year drought after Smitty and his crew were eliminated after the 1999 season by the Knicks. But it was a year before that when they were eliminated in the opening round by Charlotte, were swept out of the playoffs. And I don't think I've seen Smitty any angrier than I did during that series. That's because during the regular season, they swept Charlotte. So when the playoffs started and Charlotte was handing it to our Hawks, Smitty was like, Coach, what are we doing here? Teammates, what are we doing here? We cannot get swept by these guys. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, though he was in a lot of memorable, memorable games for other organizations, um, he, without a doubt, was a great Atlanta Hawk. Also, my top 10, we talk about playoff droughts. After 1999, the Hawks went eight years without making the playoffs. When they did make the playoffs, they snuck in as the eighth seed. 
And of course, who do they see in the first round of the playoffs? None other than the top seed at Boston Celtics with their big three. Nobody gave the Hawks respect. Nobody gave the Hawks a chance. Well, the Hawks took them to a seventh game. And this is after losing game one, I believe, by 23 points. And I think losing game two by 19 points. Celtics had a little respect for our guys. They were a talkative crew, so they talked a little bit. Might have been a gang sign involved. Not germane to the story, really. I'm just pointing out the lack of respect they had for our side. And when they came to Atlanta, not our best player, but the guy you remember standing up as much as anybody was Zaza Pachulia. So Zaza is also in my top 10 favorite Hawks. And we all remember Zaza going head to head with Kevin Garnett, just reminding him that you may beat us, but we're not afraid. And you're not going to punk us. And we're not going to tuck our tails. We're going to battle us. And to see Zaza stand up and to see our guys battle them for seven games, um, that puts him in my top 10 by far. He also showed up to work, um, not with the best of skills, but with the biggest of hearts to always go out there and battle. Also in my top 10, a couple of guys from the 60 win season. And why not? Um, they made basketball fun again in more ways than one. It was all about team. So Kyle Korver, absolutely. Uh, watching Threesus hit the bottom of the net in the most crucial of times, usually in all of the times, um, was always great. We know he's a solid individual. We know he's a great guy, but he was a great, great asset to that team. So he's in my top team, as is the heart and soul of that group, Paul Millsap. Undersized, replacing the guy who was bigger, replacing the guy who was from Atlanta. He only wanted to be a he only tried to be himself, and uh, for all of that, he's a good lunch pail guy. I'm big on lunch pail guys, really like that. And the 10th member of my top 10 favorite Atlanta Hawks of all time, well, I got to put in a guy called Shakes the Clown, and that's Jamal Crawford. And in my mind, Shakes the Clown was a guy that always left people happy, unless he was making your team lose, unless he was beating your team. Jamal Crawford always brought a joy to the floor and he brought unbelievable offense and he was just fun to watch play basketball. So those are my 10. Those are my favorites. And I just wanted to point them out. And again, not the 10 best players in Hawks history, but they epitomize everything that I love. All right. Now I have uh, before I bring our, our, our guest in. I have one more list I want to share with everyone because it's such an underrated part of the game to me. There's no number that really recognizes toughness. There's a mental toughness that every single championship team has ever had in any sport. But we focused on the NBA and there are some players that have toiled on bad teams in the NBA their whole careers while consistently doing the dirty work. To me, those guys make basketball work. So I want you to know who my four toughest Hawks are that I've seen with my own eyes. And I'll tell you why I settled on the number four when I get to the last guy. Um, I think you really need to have one of these guys on your team. If the toughest guy of your group is the head coach, then your squad is lacking. If your best player could also qualify to be captain of the shit for brains all-stars, well then your team is always going to be fighting an uphill battle. 
you can work around one or two of those guys, but it can't be your best player and it can't be the guy that dominates the ball. Collective toughness for a team or the effects of having a next level tough guy are immeasurable. So here are the four toughest Hawks that I've witnessed with my eyes. First name on my list, the late great Dan Roundfield. He spent six seasons in Atlanta, averaged a double-double each one of those seasons, if you like consistency, if you're about numbers, okay? He was also, Roundfield, a three-time All-Star during his run here in Atlanta. And more to my toughness theme, Dan was first-team All-NBA defense three times and second-team All-NBA defense twice. They just got tired of seeing his name on the list the other time, I imagine. His office was down there where things were hard. And during a game in October of 1982, a young rookie named Dominique Wilkins tried to grab a defensive rebound unsuccessfully. As Dan Roundfield held the ball above his head before outletting it, he yelled to Wilkins, hey, these are my damn rebounds. Keep your little ass out of this area unless you want one of these elbows. And Dominique Wilkins, never one at a loss for words, simply said, okay then. And he didn't get any of those elbows and he didn't get down there in Dan Roundfield's office either. Also on my list of four toughest Hawks, another big man, Kevin Willis. Kevin played in the NBA for 24 seasons, 11 of them in Atlanta. That's really the only sentence you need right there, right? He achieved a championship later in his career on another friend with another franchise, but Kevin, even to this day, looks like he could step on the floor and grab you 10 rebounds. There was a toughness to the Michigan State man. And um, what else can you say? You know, you always hear Detroit against the world, but you know, hey, Kevin, Detroit High School, Steve Smith, come, Detroit is represented very well on my list, this podcast. So nothing but respect for Motown, but yeah, of my four toughest Hawks I've seen, Kevin Willis definitely in there with Dan Ramfield. Also on that list of four for me, not a big guy, but nobody tougher. Damari Carroll, again, another member of the 60-win squad. And what I witnessed on the floor wasn't just the fact that he could make jumpers. He's kind of a quiet guy, almost like you would expect a preacher's kid to be. Um, but when he talked to opponents, his words carried weight, and he said things to opponents who would try to try to upset his teammates in a very strong way that got the point across. Didn't have to yell, didn't have to scream, just said what he would say and look people in the eye. Also, Damari Carroll, who was at a couple of colleges, I think it was discovered while he was in college, so some of the health issues and, and, and dealing with the liver issue. Um, but I know for a fact, as uh, before some games, there were times when Damari Carroll, back in the back in the recesses where nobody could see, um, had to go, had to uh, deal with IVs and uh, dealt with pain and dealt with all of that with, okay, this is what it is. Well, I'm gonna go out here and play basketball. I'm gonna go out here and defend the best player on the other players, on the other team. I'm gonna do it because that's, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. Pain's a part of it. I'll just deal with the pain and do it. Never talked about it. Didn't wanna talk about it. Wouldn't answer questions when you were asked, was asked about it. And uh, to me, yeah, there, there, there's a toughness. His teammates appreciate it to the next level. So we got three guys there so far. We got Dan, the late Dan Roundfield. Dan Roundfield, obviously, 
um, passed away, saving his wife's life out there in the middle of, of the ocean and uh, off of Aruba. So it goes without saying oh, what kind of person uh, he was. But uh, Dan Ramfield, Kevin Willis, Damari Carroll. The fourth member of uh, my Toughest Hawks crew, my Fantastic Four, is a guy that was only here for a couple of years, only played about 15 minutes a game, um, only averaged about six points a game during his two years, didn't have a whole lot of numbers, but his impact was off the charts. And I'm talking Ivan Johnson. Ivan Johnson, without a doubt, is toughest guy I've, I've seen in a Hawks uniform. He might be the toughest guy I've seen in, in, in pro sports. Um, and I've seen a lot of middle linebackers. But uh, Ivan was just that guy. And it wasn't because he had gold fronts or it wasn't, he was just, he was just that guy. And so Ivan was a guy who would come onto the floor when people might've been manhandling his teammates. And he wouldn't say it quite in the Damari Carroll way. He would tell the opposition that um, I'm about to step on your neck because you're not acting right. And he could also play a little bit too. And the great thing about Ivan Johnson too, in training camp when he first came to the Hawks, uh, Larry Drew played in the NBA a long time and has been around basketball his whole life. Not a man of fear, neither was coaching staff, but Ivan worked so hard during that training camp. One of the assistant coaches asked Larry, if you got to cut that guy, who's going to do it? Larry's like, it's not going to be me. And the assistant coach was like, it's not going to be me either. So uh, basically, they're like, if we wanted to cut him, nobody would tell him. So I guess he's going to be a member of the team. And for two years, Ivan Johnson was that guy. I can tell you, too, that Ivan played junior college ball in, Atlanta, in, in uh, Los Angeles and uh, at the area he lived by in the, uh, by Washington High School there. There might have been a there might have been a. a there might have been a, a higher population of bloods there. And Ivan's coach, who was an L.A. native, told Ivan that he didn't need to be walking down the street with red slippers on because that just hasn't. And Ivan's answer to this coach was, Coach, I wish somebody would mess with me. I like my red slippers. I'm going to wear my red slippers all day long. And that's him in junior college. One of the things I witnessed as a pro, Ivan received a cut one year when we were in Denver right before halftime. And he needed to get it stitched up at halftime. Now, obviously I wasn't in the locker room, I was outside the locker room, but as the doctors went to stitch him up, um, Jeff T comes out of the locker room before second half's about to start and he's shaking his head going like, your boy's incredible. Like, what do you mean? Um, he's getting stitched up, but he won't take a shot. He won't take a <laughs> he won't he won't take a shot to numb the area because he doesn't like shots. I'm like, so what did he tell the doctor? The doctor got ready to shoot him up before doing the stitches. He said, Hey, I don't want none of that shit there. Just put the just just stitch it up, man. So I go play. That's Ivan Johnson. And so my four toughest hawks, I think during the course of this season, when I see some really good work out there, some really tough work out there. I'm going to give a player an Ivan Award, all right? We'll say it on here. This guy got an Ivan. He did something spectacular. Maybe we'll give him two Ivans. But if somebody does something off the charts tough, and, you know, I think I think Clint Capella grabbing about 4 million rebounds and uh, getting his first triple-double the other night, 
I think that's deserving of four Ivans on that night. So those are my toughest guys and uh, toughest Hawks and my favorite Hawks. Hey, but that's enough about just me. I've got another person we want to bring in here to talk about Atlanta basketball. All right. Well, as we get ready to welcome our first guest on this debut episode of A Toast to the A-Town, it really is a gentleman that needs no introduction at all, but I'll just give you a little bit before we bring him in because we're talking basketball as a team sport. So you want championships, and that's championships, plural, with an S. He's got three of those for you. You want MVPs for his individual play and everything that he led his team to. You got four of those, too. He's got everything that anyone who's played the game of basketball could want to succeed at at the very highest level. So it is my honor and a privilege uh, to bring in the good doctor, Julius Serving, who joins us right now. Julius, thank you very much for uh, joining us here. My pleasure. Always good to talk to you, man. Good, good seeing you a few times a year. But the quality of our relationship goes back many, many, many years. So I'm uh, happy to answer the call for you and, and be your first guest. I appreciate that. So, Julius, uh, one of the things I know a lot of folks aren't aware of is the fact that um, I believe you were almost an Atlanta Hawk or you were an Atlanta Hawk and you're on the floor with Pete Maravich. Can you help us out with that? Uh, you're turning the clock back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after uh, coming out of college and playing a year with the Virginia Squires, 70-71 season with the Virginia Squires, uh, that summer we uh, actually signed a uh, contract. It was deemed to be a future contract uh, with the Atlanta Hawks at the end of my Virginia Squire uh, contract. But you know how agents are, and agents were back in the day. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I end up in training camp uh, in Atlanta. Cotton Fitzsimmons was coaching. Pete Maravich was a teammate, uh, as well as uh, Lou Hudson and Walt Bellamy. Wow. And, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was, it was quite formidable. It was, uh, you know, it was an introduction to the, uh, to the NBA uh, for me. I had played against a lot of NBA players before because I played summer league up in the Rucker League. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of NBA players who went over to the ABA. So that first year, the first year in Virginia, you know, there were, there were a number of former NBA players who were, who were in the mix. So I, I felt comfortable and uh, uh, I felt very much at home. And I thought that Atlanta would be my home base, my home team. <laughs> I'd be here for a long, long time. <laughs> uh, man plans and God laughs. <laughs> so who put it into this? The, uh, the commissioner put it in the hands of a guy named Robert Morgenthau in, uh, in, in New York. And it went to arbitration uh, with him. And he decided that uh, the draft would be upheld, the NBA draft would be upheld. And even though I was uh, signed a contract with Atlanta, I was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to play in the NBA in that particular year, I'd have to go to Milwaukee. So as it turned out, you know, I ended up going back to Virginia for a year. Mm -hmm. Then with the Nets for three years, and then, you know, at the expiration of that contract, I ended up becoming a Philadelphia 76er. So I, so I entered the, the NBA at age 26, mm -hmm. five years removed from college. So I never really had a, a, rookie, a rookie year 
uh, with the with the league. Not an official rookie year. I probably mm -hmm. might have been rookie of the year if I had. I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, if that's the case. But uh, that first year there, you know, his team with uh, George McGinnis, Daryl Dawkins, mm -hmm. Will B. Free, Doug Collins, Henry Bibby. And uh, we made it to the finals. We had the best record in the league, and, and we made it to the finals. So mm -hmm. so it seemed to be a, a good landing spot. And uh, that year in the All-Star game, you know, I was the most valuable player, which happened to be played in Milwaukee. So <laughs> Surprise. Places. Yeah. So that was probably my second introduction to the world. Mm -hmm. Hey, Julius, uh, thinking about what might have been in Atlanta, and again, to have played a, a couple of exhibition games and you're on the floor with Pete, I know we can go to YouTube and some of the old videos, but um, explain, especially for someone with your skills, um, what did Pete Maravich bring to the floor? Did he impress you even at, at that stage of your career? Um, well, Pete had always impressed me. You know, okay. Uh, I used to watch Pete uh, play on TV, mm -hmm. uh, you know, days, uh, his college days. And, uh, and certainly uh, when he was a pro, he, he got a lot of publicity, a lot of notoriety. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a, uh, you're talking about going to YouTube and what have you. YouTube might have uh, a little one-on-one -on -one session that Pete and I had with oh. Dick Cabot on the Dick Cabot show Whoa. in New Orleans Superdome. Whoa. Three of us there. I mean, a camera crew and the three of us there. And uh, and we entertained Dick Cabot for about an hour. So that was, that was and we became friends and uh -huh. I got to know him. I liked him. Uh, we, were, we were gym rats. You know, I think the most comfortable place to be was, was in the gym after mm -hmm. we became pros. And uh, did I learn anything from him? I, I learned something from so many players. Mm -hmm. but he, you know, there was stuff that just exuded from him that that you could try to do, but you couldn't do all of it that, <laughs> that Pete did the way that, the way that uh, he did it. He was he was definitely an innovator and uh, and a creator, mm -hmm. and and he he took the game to another level. On that one day during the one show for Dick Cabot, who won the one on one battle? Well, we, it was more like skills. Okay. So we, just, we were just showing off. Okay. It wasn't just he and I going to play one-on-one, -on -one, the first one to 11 wins. We were just doing the fancy stuff and, you know, ball handling stuff, which he was so good at, you know, spinning the ball on the finger by bouncing it in the basket off of his head, you know, drop kicking it, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So, so we were just out there cutting up. <laughs> Julius, you've been a resident of Atlanta for a, a while. Was it that initial stint of, of becoming a Hawk that, you know, planted the seed for you to make this your home? Or, or what was it about uh, being down here? Uh, I think the fact that I had a, uh, a love for golf. Okay. And, uh, I could play in Atlanta all year round. Mm -hmm. uh, have some family members who are here. Uh, cousins, first cousins. Mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, high school uh, classmates uh, who decided to make Atlanta their home, uh, a few who I also went to college with who made it their home. And then this is a haven for retired NBA players. Right. You know? so there's, there's so many here. I run into people all the time, you know, <laughs> big and small. And, and uh, you know, we uh, lots of times end up meeting at one of the cigar lounges, mm -hmm. a cigar, having a cocktail and reminiscing about the old times. Julius, um, 
when we think about all of the individual things that you've done, they stick out to us because they were so impactful. But as you've always told me, basketball is a team sport. So when we think about the Philadelphia franchise, a great franchise, they have three championships. Uh, one, I believe, in 1955 when they were in Syracuse. One, I believe, in 1967 with Wilt Chamberlain. And the last time Philadelphia won a championship was when you and the late Moses Malone led them to the championship in 82-83. Um, the, the Nets, formerly New Jersey Nets, formerly New York Nets of uh, your home area, uh, the last time they've been champions, you led the way for all of that. So despite the individual accolades for you, how important for it was it? How important was it for you to lead the championships? Well, you know, uh, for Philly, uh, you know, Boston was always in the way. <laughs> the Nets, uh, you know, in the ABA, Indiana was was the best ABA team three times out of the seven years mm -hmm. that the league existed. Uh, so, you know, to sneak in there and 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 win a couple of championships—that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's it's something that you know, nice place that validates. Mm -hmm. um, I think your individual talents um, being able to be utilized by a coach mm -hmm. to let you have a great team. I mean, I think uh, with the Philly team, even though there's a there's a shortage of championships, the way in which we won the title, you know, playing. 13 games as efficient as it's ever been <laughs> 13 games and uh, sweeping the first first round and the last round mm -hmm. sweeping our nemesis which was the Los Angeles Lakers so to go in there and beat them four times you know you should get points <laughs> you got to get points for a sweep so I, I don't know why they don't list as one of the best 10 teams of all time <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange but true thing and uh you know I, I guess it all depends on who you're talking to but you know, i think the critics need to reassess that one and, and the man said four 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 he only missed it by one right he only missed it by one he, he couldn't predict that one loss and and uh the fact that it was milwaukee just mm -hmm. like just like uh in the first year when we lost to portland and uh you know, they uh, we we won the first two games, and then we we lost the next four games, and I tried to rationalize it, and I said, you know what, that was the only title uh, in Jack Ramsey's career, mm. and he was a phenomenal guy who gave his life to basketball. Yes. Well, so if we have to come in second place so he can have a title <laughs> in his resume, mm -hmm. then so be it. Julius, I want folks to also know, and again, you're not here to plug anything. You're here because you're helping me out. But um, if anybody out there considers themselves a basketball fan and they can read, then uh, this came out a few years ago, but this ought to be on your shelf and you ought to read it. And it's uh, the autobiography, uh, Dr. J, the autobiography of Julius Servi. And uh, this book is just phenomenal and really takes your life from uh, uh, from beginning to to where we are at that point. I tell you what, though, you're so famous that they used to misspell your name, I believe, in high school or college. Uh, when you were at UMass and somebody maybe misspelled the Irving uh, a, a different way, was there a, a media person or writer that showed up thinking that you were some little Jewish kid? <laughs> Andre, there, there was a guy who showed up who was a writer. <laughs> he, he just heard Irving. I don't think he looked it up or anything, and he came down and, and saw us play. 
you know, so he was he was actually looking for a little Jewish kid for <laughs> <laughs> a lot of points and, and grab a lot of rebounds and whatever. And then when he ran into me, he found out that that, that, that I was the Irving that uh, that he was talking about. It, it was a time to to smile and appreciate the fact that life's not perfect. Right. <laughs> Guys make mistakes. So he, he became corrected and he became a good follower of ours. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, those those two seasons at UMass in which we amassed a pretty, pretty good record. I think we were 18 and six the first year and then 23 and three the second year and, and got invitations to play in the in the NIT, which mm -hmm. at that was a pretty big tournament because they only took 16 teams. This is also a time when even uh, for me, you found out pre-internet, you just went to the box scores every morning and you went up and down to see whether it's your team or, and even if it's a guy you didn't know, you oh my God, look at, look at those numbers right there, right? And, and, and follow the line across, right? Yeah, 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 that, that was, uh, you know, statistics are interesting because most of the coaches in my life and even when I coach now, like in the big three and, and, and uh, mm -hmm in the Ice Cube League, mm -hmm. or whatever, I told the guys, man, don't look at the stats unless you win the game. You oh, know? Yes, so yes. You win the game, then, then mm -hmm. uh, check the stat sheet. But, mm -hmm. if, but if you don't win, just let the coach see the stat sheet and figure out what he's going to do to find a way for you guys to improve and, and play better the next time out. Folks are always wanting to uh, compare eras or ask different things about eras. And I guess that's just a part of being sports fans or, or life in sports. And uh, one of the things you hear about one of the current players, Julius, uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard, is, is, is how huge his hands are and, and how that's an advantage. And I can just tell you from my years of, of covering all sports, um, you also have the hugest hands I've ever seen. And you're not a 6'11 or 7'2 uh, or 4. Um, was that an advantage for you? Yeah, I think a big hand is an advantage if you if you know how to use it. I mean, you, you practice, you hone your skills. You know, I, I think it might be a, a disadvantage in terms of initially when they're teaching you, you know, about ball handling. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with, with palming the ball or cupping the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in terms of the fundamentals of the game, uh, hand size doesn't make uh, a difference. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're going outside of the fundamentals and you're going to rock the baby and, you know, you're going to grab a rebound with one hand or you're going to go up and, 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 and block a shot that doesn't seem to be blockable. You go and block Kareem's sky hook. Mm -hmm. Big hand helps. <laughs> Put that hand up and some hops helps. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that, 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 that help you. And, you know, the big hand story, Bill Russell told, told Rick Barry one night, he said, man, I got big hands. I can't do that stuff that he's doing out there. <laughs> big hands alone is a, is a gift, but it's not the cure-all end-all. Well, Julius, for all of your style and grace and, and the imprint you've left on the game, uh, for everything, I think what's underrated about you is um, you played both ends of the court. You took pride in both ends of the court. And while people would think of you as a, a Louis Vuitton or Gucci or something, I know you took a hard hat out on the floor. So I've got a, I've, I still got my Julius Irvin 
Lunderville, okay? And this is about a guy with a hard hat, right? So I, I, I hope you appreciated that part of your game. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, when I had my uh, golf tournaments up in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, and you were kind enough to attend and then uh, the Hall of Fame as well. Uh-huh. Uh, so for you to hold on to that's something else, man. Do you bring your lunch? Well, some, let me tell you something. I put I put Subway sandwiches in that bad boy. I, okay. I'm 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 not gonna lie to you because this is a no BS podcast. There was there was a nephew who was gonna get the lunch pail, and I was driving over there, and I was driving over there, and I'm like, you know what? I get that kid something else. This is my this, this is my lunch pail, fam. <laughs> so that's why I still have my Dr. J. You just you just slid over twenty, and he was happy, right? Happy happy I'm the best uncle of all time. <laughs> hey, Julius, man, I can't thank you enough for uh, being on this debut episode for me. You know, you mean the world to me, man. And uh, uh, you you are an icon for a reason. And you mean a lot to basketball fans all around the world. So, man, thank you very much. Continued health, continued success. And uh, we love the fact that you're part of the Atlanta story. Yes. You stay safe. Thank you so much for having me. And great, great luck with the show. All right. Thank you again, Julius. Bye-bye. Well, I got to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. So um, what do you add to that? You don't add anything at all. You just say thank you very much to the good doctor, Julius Irvin, multi-champion, multi-MVP, and just everything you would want for a superstar to be. Um, We will continue our A-Town stories, and a toast to the A-Town will return later this week. But until then, I thank you very much for joining us on this debut episode. And uh, if you haven't hit the subscribe button, make sure you do that too for me, all right? We'll see you on down the road. Thank you, everybody.